Sometimes as we wait, we're not quite sure how it's all going to turn out. And in our Christian journey, we're called to wait every day of our lives. Because in Matthew 24, we're told in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. In other words, as we're also told in Acts, we are to wait on the Lord Jesus to come back. So you move ahead 2,000 years from when he made these statements and you look at the world we find ourselves, a world that should be pregnant with anticipation for the return of our king. And instead, we live in a world where the faster, the better. Again, you've heard me say it before. The only reason McDonald's exists is because it is the fastest way to mass produce food. I've not heard many people say that they feel McDonald's is the highest quality food they can possibly find. It exists because we want it right now. Well, as we come to the story of Ruth today, we find ourselves in the middle of wondering, how is God going to bring these pieces of the puzzle together? Interestingly about Ruth, God is almost never mentioned in the book directly. He's spoken of, he's prayed to, but we don't hear much from God. Does that mean he's not at work? Not even a little. In men's ministry last year, we talked about the idea that God is sovereign. It means God is aware and in control at all times. Nothing is a surprise to God. Now, in that sovereignty, he gives us this thing called free will. And he allows us to make our own choices. And we live as a society with the results of those choices all the time. The chief of which is sin. We choose to go man's way rather than God's way. And then we ask God, where were you? And his response is the same. I'm right here. Come to me and I will give you rest. At the end of chapter one of Ruth, Naomi essentially ask God, what are you doing? My life is worthless. It's over. I'm changing my name to Mara. It's just bitter. Everything about my life is bitter. And then last week we discovered that uh, Ruth uh, has been so faithful, so faithful to how doors have opened and how she's sought God and sought to be faithful to her mother-in-law And we see in that scenario that Naomi begins to change her perspective from one who is bitter to one who is blessed. And today we're going to look at the next part of that scenario where she goes from bitter to blessed to one who exhibits bravery in the face of saying, okay, let's see how God might work this out. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you do have a plan and that your ways are right and they are true and they are relevant for us today and each day of our lives. And so as we just explore a bit of your text this morning, would you soften our hearts? Would you teach us from your word? And would you help us to actively wait on you and obediently go where you would have us go? 
in any and all situations. Amen. Well, I want to tell you a, a few stories this morning that I think help illustrate what's going on uh, in the story of Ruth. Uh, but I want to recap where we found ourselves last week and what was going on. Uh, last week, we learned about basically four imperatives that we're seeing kind of develop as this, what's called narrative, this story happens in Ruth. In chapter one, we discovered that uh, Elimelech, the father-in-law of Ruth, uh, before Ruth was a part of the picture, took his wife and two sons to Moab because there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem, of Israel, where they lived. And instead of trusting God to provide in the very house of bread, which is what the name Bethlehem means, they chose to seek their own way and to go to Moab. Then furthermore, Elimelech's sons, one of whom was named Malon, uh, were allowed to marry Moabites. Now, Moabite people, while it wasn't strictly forbidden that they marry uh, the people of Israel, it was not encouraged. Moab had been singularly responsible for the death of 24,000 Israelites because they had led them into false worship, the worship of false gods. And God judged them righteously for that behavior. And so to go to the people of Moab and to seek provision and protection there was an attitude of, I'm going to trust myself in my ways of solving this problem rather than God. Elimelech, Malon, the other son, they die. Uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law, is left with two daughters-in-law. She tells them, go back home to Moab. But Ruth has seen, we don't know how much, but she's seen a picture of the one true God. And she looks at Naomi and says, no, I am staying with you. Your people will be my people. Your God is my God. And I'm going with you. And so back to Bethlehem they go, knowing that there will be great talk about them. Why would a Moabitess come here? Why would this happen? And gossip would ensue. You know, human nature hasn't changed that much, ladies and gentlemen. But as chapter 2 moves on, Ruth doesn't just sit back and say, woe is me. I'm an alien in a foreign land that I'm not welcome in. Everybody's judging me. Everybody's out to get me. There is no hope. I'm going to sit here and be bitter just like my mother-in-law. They get there. She picks up her work clothes and she says, I'm going to the field. And by God's great providence, God's great plan... She shows up at the field of Boaz, who later on we'll find out is one of her relatives. And I'll explain a bit of what that looked like later on this morning. And in so doing, she found favor with Boaz and he looked after her. Boaz, you'll see throughout this narrative, gives us a picture of the very love of God, the redemptive love of God. Was Boaz perfect? Absolutely not. But Sometimes in the scriptures we get what's called a type, a picture of the way God loves us and the way we are then to treat other people. And so as we walked through chapter 2, we saw that it was Ruth that was walking by faith, allowing God to provide, but she wasn't standing idly by. She was working. In fact, the scriptures tell us that she didn't just work, she didn't take breaks. She kept working and kept working and kept working to provide not just for herself, but her family. 
So she was allowing God to shine a light upon her as she was walking by faith saying, Lord, I don't know how all these pieces are going to fit together, but I trust you. So let's talk about what that looks like when you're a moron. That would be me. As you know, I told you last week I was getting ready. Uh, we as a church family support uh, English Language Institute China. And they provide English teachers throughout China that uh, we say uh, publicly are like-minded individuals that care deeply for those uh, in different parts of the world where access is limited, where you're not allowed to send normal Christian workers. And so I was preparing last Sunday night. By the way, I'm really good at preparing early for these trips. So it was about 9 o'clock when I began the process of getting ready for my 8 a.m. flight, which is plenty of time. I was only going to be on for four days. And I'm looking through a few things, getting my stuff together, and I happen to think to myself, oh, I think I left my passport at the office, so I'm going to have to go back and get it. Big deal. That happens to me every time. Uh, But it wasn't that. I found my passport. And then I'm looking in, I said, I should just double check my visa just to make sure I'm good, right? I wasn't. It had expired three weeks ago. (laughs) Well, how do you go to Chongqing without a China visa? You don't. So I get on the phone and I begin to make phone calls and praise God for you wonderful people that work at Cathay Pacific. Thank you. (laughs) On my behalf, thank you. You were very patient with a stressed out individual. And then I, call, I called the staff and I asked, help, what do I do? And so we went to the, I went to the visa office first thing in the morning and I filled out the paperwork for the fourth time. Finally got it right. And I said, how soon can I get this visa? How soon can I get to where I know I'm supposed to be? They said, six o'clock tonight. So then I called Cathay Pacific again and they said, okay, sir, Mr. Rose, we can get you on this flight at this time and all is good and yeah, 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 yeah you're good. But then I was stuck because I could do nothing. I wasn't supposed to be home. I was supposed to be somewhere else doing something else. This was not according to my plan. I can't go get my visa. I can't go do anything. I can just wait. What a miserable thing to do. But instead, as I was preparing to come home from applying to get the visa in the morning, I thought to myself, Lord, You've got something in mind, and I don't know what it is, but I trust you. And sure enough, as the day progressed, the kids were off school that day. And so I got to spend some time with my kids while they were home. And we got to go have dim sum. And it was during that dim sum conversation that my kids and us as a family with Melissa included we're able to have a very real conversation about why it's so important that wherever we go, we carry the name of Jesus. And so if for no other reason than my flight was delayed and my stupidity was rewarded, I got to spend time sharing the love of Christ with those dearest to me. Now they've accepted Jesus as their savior, but the idea of discipleship is ongoing. And so my waiting had to become active because God gave an opportunity. And then interestingly enough, as I was abiding in the grace of God, he provided that I could only be 24 hours late on my journey. That was him. That was his provision. I didn't deserve that, but he did it. And I knew God was at work and I didn't know why the delay was coming because it meant I was going to be late for some other things coming up later in the week and I was stressed. 
But when I got there, I know you can't see the picture real clearly, but this is the dear team that you help support that we can invest in and cheer on as they do the work the Lord has called them to. You can't see them all clearly, but there are four kids uh, under the age of nine on that team, which is a ministry in and of itself. Then there's a 16-year-old young lady. Uh, and then there's teammates ranging from uh, almost 50 on down to the youngest being 22. And when you think about those dynamics, you think about all the opportunities they would have to complain about each other or to complain about things aren't the way they want them to be or aren't the way it should be. And there is some of that, no doubt. We're humans. We do that. And that's one of the reasons I, I go there to listen. But it's not the primary Because the primary is I get to encourage them is they say, I'm going to go toward whatever doors the Lord opens. And there's one woman, I can't point her out, but I can point her out because she's wearing the bright pink hat that I gave her as a gift because of a, a story. But she was talking to me about, Mike, where's my place? And as she's been discovering because she's got a very different personality than some other members of the team. And that's a good thing. She wasn't lamenting this. But it has given her an opportunity to listen and to be present into the lives of some other fellow teachers that don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so for whatever reason, they have begun to seek her out when they need counsel. And interestingly enough, while we're meeting together and we're preparing to pray and we're having these conversations, one of them shows up. Doesn't know me from anybody. But it was Tuesday night, because I was late, remember that? I was a day late. And she came into the room. And the Holy Spirit was very clearly present in the room and just told me, ask her how she's doing. And I didn't know much of her story. Actually, I didn't know her story. I'd never met her. And she said, well, it's really tough. And she didn't say much, but I was able to give her some peanut butter candy and we were able to talk. And if I was late, again, for no other reason, it was because I could let that woman know that there's people out there that care about her. But you see what happens in life is we get so caught up in our own agendas that we forget God and forget to allow him to work in the situation. I had to decide in my attitude that while the plans did not go even remotely like I wanted them to, he's still sovereign and he's still going to work in spite of me. I am a failure. It was my fault. Please don't misunderstand. I made the mistake. I should have checked the visa weeks ahead of time. That was the right thing to do. But by the grace of God, he worked together things that went wrong and allowed something good to come out of them. Not because of Mike's great logistical skill, but because he's God and I'm not. When we look at the story of Ruth, that is one of the critical elements we must understand. He is God and he is at work. I cannot explain why people feel the best way to talk about God or Allah in in their minds. And no, I'm not saying God and Allah are the same. Allah is a false God. Do not misunderstand. But I do not know why killing others is a way to proclaim your religion. I don't understand that from where they're coming from. There's times when war is just and we can have that conversation another day. But where we find ourselves in Ruth is a situation where Ruth could have asked, 
what am I doing here? What's the point? I've been faithful. I married the guy I thought I was supposed to marry and he's dead. I can't wait around for Naomi because she's old. She's not going to give birth to another. That's what Naomi said in chapter 1. What do I do? Well, she shows us that she would walk by faith. And she also showed that she would trust Naomi, even when it doesn't seem that Naomi was necessarily worthy of that trust. So we see an evolution of three characters primarily in this story. And one of them that transforms the most is Naomi. You see, she goes from saying in chapter one, oh, just call me bitter, to chapter two, blessed is the Lord, or blessed is Boaz. You know, this is good news. And now we find in chapter three that she's moving from self-sufficiency to this place of faithful dependence. What do I mean? Well, look at this verse. One day, and it was already read to you, but I'm going to read it again. Ruth's mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, I got to find a home for you. She's beginning to care deeply about provision for her daughter. And I don't read into this that this is a self-serving action. I believe that she and Ruth had a great relationship. One reason being Ruth came back with her. Mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationships don't usually go like that. Uh, But two, beyond that, they stuck together. Ruth had made a covenant and it, every, every indication seems to be that Naomi cared deeply about her welfare. And so she needed to find a home for Ruth. And that meant looking for a husband where you'll be well provided for. And so we begin to see a plot develop. Different uh, scholars interpret whether she's scheming or whether she's stepping out in faith. But as I look at the overall context of Ruth, it seems like Naomi has begun to see that there is a higher work at play and she's going to ask, how would you work this out, Lord? And so she says, now Boaz, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. And she begins from there to explain to to Ruth that there's some actions I need you to take. One, instead of wearing working or mourning clothes that indicate that you are a widow, you need to put your best face forward. Put your good clothes on and begin to get ready. And then what you're going to do as you see in the verses that follow, is you're going to go at night after Boaz. This is the the season of threshing. This is when the harvest is in. The men are joyful. They'll be celebrating together. Some of them would have likely been drunk. And so there's risk involved in having Ruth go into this situation with a bunch of happy men that may or may not have her best interests at heart because they've, could have possibly had too much to drink. Naomi doesn't know exactly what the situation will be, but she's stepping out because she has seen something in Boaz. The Lord has turned her heart and her eyes toward Boaz for a reason. And in Ruth 3, we see her develop a plan with which Ruth can quietly, respectfully, and submissively declare her intentions to Boaz. And it can be Boaz's choice to respond. Naomi has moved to the place where instead of saying, Lord, woe is me, nothing's going right, to maybe this is how the Lord might be working to provide for us. 
So let's do these things and see what God will do. Sometimes the worst thing we can do is nothing. We can lament in our situation, our station in life, and forget that God is still at work. And so what does Ruth tell when the proposition is to her? She says, I will do whatever you ask of me. Okay? And so we see that Ruth is this woman of great character. Time and again, that's put on display. We're told, likely, that she was an attractive woman. We don't know her age. We don't know a lot about her other than she was a Moabitess and she had found favor in the eyes of Boaz. But here we're seeing that she does what Naomi has asked her and she goes. And some commentators want to say that this is a sexual encounter, therefore it had to be hidden and it had to be very quiet. But that would go in direct disproportion, a direct contradiction to what we're told here and also in chapter 2 of who Ruth is. You see, here in verse 11 and also in chapter 2, we're told that Ruth is a woman of noble character. Why did she go and lay at the feet of Boaz rather than next to him? Well, if you're lying next to him, that could have been misinterpreted as a sexual advance. If you're lying at his feet, it's a sign of submission. And she intentionally woke him up. Uh, You know, he was startled, but he knew someone was at his feet. And so out of respect, when she is... She awakens him. She responds lovingly and tenderly. And she says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Interesting choice of words because Boaz's prayer for Ruth in chapter 2 was may the Lord provide shelter under his wing for you. And so now here in chapter 3, What's happening is it's played out that it is Boaz who is providing shelter, provision, and protection for Ruth. The very person that prays, may the shelter of the Lord's wings be upon you, is now the agent to which that is provided. And so she lays at his feet in character, in purity. Interestingly, the words that are used here, she's a woman of noble character, is exactly what is found in Proverbs 31.30. A wife of noble character, who can find? Now, it's significant that these words are used the same in Hebrew, because here's the thing, in the Hebrew Bible, where does Ruth fall? Directly after Proverbs. So you move from the end of the book of Proverbs where they speak of a woman of high character, of high value. And what's the next book in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible? Ruth, a woman of noble character who can find and we open our Bibles and it's Ruth for us to see. A woman of mutual submission out of love for God puts her, again, stepping out in faith. She still doesn't know how Boaz would respond. How often would we do that? In our day and age, how often would we step out and say, Lord, 
I will go where you want me to go. Many people I talked to, even uh, as I met with that team in Chung, Chongqing this past week, many of them said, you know, I, I know this is what I should be doing, but. And that little word, but, gets us into so much trouble because the minute we add the but, we begin to reason saying, I've got to do it on my own or it's un." comfortable or I don't know where it's going to lead. And so instead of stepping out where I feel God is leading me, I'll stay right here and hope it works out. Ruth didn't do that. Ruth, with gentleness and tenderness, went toward the Lord. And what's interesting is when Boaz commends her for her kindness... He doesn't look at her and respond with, who are you, woman? What are you doing at my feet? He responds again out of tenderness. And he says, look, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness, a couple weeks ago, I introduced you to that word kindness, hesed, which has a much bigger meaning in Hebrew than in English. And it meant this covenant love and faithfulness before God and man. This covenant love and kindness and faithfulness you have shown me, Ruth. This is Boaz speaking. May God bless you because of your noble character. This hesed that is, con- is consistently spoken of, of Ruth throughout this little book of the Bible. This covenant faithfulness. May God see that in you and may you be blessed. So Boaz's response, again, is one of faithfulness. And Boaz, he, he just, he responds in such a way that I wonder if us as men would do the same. If our character, when tested with the unexpected, I don't get any indication. I mean, the, the text tells us he was startled. So I don't get any indication that at this point he was expecting to find her at his feet that night. I do believe that he was beginning to wonder, could I redeem her? And I'll explain a little bit of what that means in in just a moment. But right now we see that Ruth is a woman whose character was on display. And it was a noble character. And so what did he do? Uh, Boaz had her leave quietly so as to be above reproach. He he didn't send her out in the middle of the night where it would have been dangerous. He let her stay at his feet. But then he sent her out before anyone could talk, before gossip would happen. He protected her character and his own and did the right thing. Again, not out of hiding some untoward action, but out of protecting character, out of love, and out of beginning to put the pieces together to see how this will turn out. Because we're told next that, you know, Boaz also was a man of noble character and Like I said, he had her go out because he says, I will redeem you, but I have to follow the law of God. It's interesting. He doesn't say that directly, but that's what he's implying. And the law of God said that the one that was to redeem the land, the land and property and riches of the widow whose husband has passed away, the closest relative had the first right of of redemption. Okay? What that meant was God was providing for his covenant people. And so if I died, 
the next closest relative would have the chance to redeem any property I had, which, sorry guys, don't have any. Uh, my citizenship is in heaven and I keep claiming that. I got an old car or two that you can have, but you know, you got to fix them. But the property and the riches and whatever inheritance might have been left from Naomi could be redeemed by the next closest relative. But because that meant that that relative's inheritance would be spread out among more people, in this case, Naomi and Ruth, the Redeemer could choose not to exercise that option. And if you want to see how this plays out, you can go to Leviticus chapter 25. And it explains very clearly how this property transaction happens. But it was done in conjunction with what's called the year of Jubilee, so that in every way God's people were taken care of. Because remember, in the year of Jubilee, debts were set free. Debts were canceled. You started with a clean slate. But if by some chance the widow or orphan had fallen on hard times, you could be redeemed before that year of Jubilee. And the price that they would have to pay to redeem you to help provide for the family was in then or was commensurate then with the year of jubilee now the interesting thing was the kinship side of it if you had been married and your husband has passed away and someone chooses to redeem the land that would have been his he also takes on a wife And so Boaz is struck with a very real question of he could go and seek out potentially to buy the land from Naomi and make it his own and therefore take under his wing Naomi and all of her welfare and then also take on her daughter-in-law Ruth as a wife. But to do that, he would have to first, if he was a man of upright character, he would have to go first to the man that was ahead of him in line. And he would have to address it with him. So what I love about this story right here is that Boaz makes no false promises to Ruth. There's a faith here that's illustrated to me that says that Boaz telling Ruth, there is one that's closer to, to you than I am. And he, he gets first option to redeem you and the land. I believe Boaz is hoping above all hope. He says, I will redeem you if he refuses. But I'm going to do the right thing first. And the right thing is to follow exactly what Leviticus 25, the law, has told me to do. And in that, we see that in this story, Boaz was a man of noble character. Ruth is a woman of covenant faithfulness, of hesed, of noble character. And the people of God are called to be people of nobility in a world that is broken. Ruth 1.1, these were days where people did their own thing. These are in the days of the judges, everyone did what they saw fit. And here we have these two characters that are explained as a man and a woman of noble character, of God-fearing covenant faithfulness. And so what's the result of that? Well, let's look and see what we discover. Verse 14, he also says, and again, remember, this is also showing what God does for his people when they seek him. 
He says, bring me a shawl, the shawl that you're wearing, and hold it out. When she did so, he poured in it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Even in not knowing how the story is going to turn out, Boaz looks with compassion on this widow and makes sure she and her mother-in-law are provided for. There is tenderness and there is care in this man. He doesn't yet know what the other kinsman redeemer will say. That's what I love about chapter 3. We don't... Now, many of you have already read to the end. It's like you've already cheated and gone to the end of the story so you know how it ends. We don't know that yet. All we know is that there is this guy that's going above and beyond what his natural responsibility would do and he is acting with nobility in a broken time where people are doing whatever they see fit. Does that sound at all like the world we live in today? What would happen if in all of these political wranglings that are going on, is t- today is polling day, correct? Or is it tomorrow? It's today, right? What would happen if wherever we find ourselves over Hong Kong right now, the candidates that were elevated to the top were the men and women of noble character, not the ones who had the most finances or the right ties to the right political people? What would that do to society? What would happen if we, Christ followers, acted with nobility wherever God found us? And instead of being angry at the situation or disappointed or disenfranchised or discombobulated, I can use lots of disses, with the situation we find ourselves in, what if we went to step out in faith as both Naomi and Ruth did And now even Boaz does. He says, I want to redeem you. He doesn't hide it from her. I I like you, Ruth. Yeah. Bless you, my my child. And that's kind of a weird analogy, but it, it worked then. He says, bless you, my child, for you're not seeking the younger guy, the more handsome guy, the richer guy, but you have sought me. And he cares for her with tenderness. How do we respond to injustice that's happened to us? How do we respond when things don't go our way? It's something I'm trying to get better at myself. When I create issues for myself, how do I handle things when I'm trying to get a visa quickly? Do I force them, hurry up, you got to get this done faster, faster. Or do I try to be patient with those that are in the customer service industry trying to help me? Do I treat others with kindness and compassion even if they haven't done so to me. Boaz did. Ruth did. Ruth was no doubt talked about all the time being a Moabitess. But yet the scriptures teach us she's a woman of noble character. And God provided for her physically. He fed her through this man, Boaz. And then what do we see? We see a picture for us all these years on later of what it looks like to be redeemed by God himself. We're introduced to the kinsman redeemer and we're going to talk about this more next week. But when you get ahead, when you read toward the New Testament, you find Galatians 4 tells us that when we were underage, when we were not yet spiritually mature, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world, under the princes and powers of darkness. Okay? But 
when the set time had fully come. Just like what Boaz and Ruth are dealing with right now. When the time is now, when it's ready, redemption is coming. Are we ready? But look what happened for us, God's people. God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Amazing overall theme of Ruth is that God used a woman from Moab, from the people of Edom, horrible, awful, did nasty things time and again. God used that scenario to raise up one woman, Ruth, to act nobly and righteously and to carry the line of the Messiah. It was God who worked these things together because he is our redeemer and we are brought into his family as Ruth went from being an alien to such a local citizen so that she was part of the very line of the Messiah. You can't get much more part of the people of God than being in his family line. And what's that mean for us? That we too are adopted into that line because we are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So we're no longer a slave. Ruth enters Israel as basically she would have been looked on as a slave. What does she say to Boaz? I am your servant. Galatians, you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And God has made you also an heir. And as we'll see next week, this is all playing out in the story of Ruth. And it plays out in our lives. And we're invited to let it play out in the lives of others by introducing them to the person of Jesus Christ every moment of day. And we do that by showing who our God is. Three things that we learn about God, even by Boaz's interaction, as he waits to see how this develops first. God is faithful. At no time does Boaz say he will disobey the Lord. He is faithful and he does what is right, but he continually cares for Ruth. God has done that for us. Look what Deuteronomy 7 tells us. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. There is only one God, don't be mistaken. And he is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments covenantal love and faithfulness. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like the Hesed that was known as Ruth, who was faithful in keeping the covenantal love of God, even though she was a foreigner? It gives us a picture of God's great love and faithfulness. You may be dealing with difficulty, with uncertainty. God has not left you, and he certainly hasn't forgotten about you. He keeps his promises. It might not turn out the way you want. Please don't mistake what I say. He might have a different plan for you than you have for you. And that might mean there could be some challenge. But he adores and loves you. And he will be faithful to give you exactly what you need. No one in this world can do that but God. You will not find sufficiency in the arms of another but him. He is faithful. I will let you down. Your spouse will let you down. 
your children will let you down. Your friends, family, co-workers, bosses, employees will let you down. He never will. You might not always understand it, but if you keep coming back to him, you can know that he's got you right where he wants you. And he's working. Right now, God is at work in situations that are beyond my comprehension. But he's at work. I saw that all week in Chongqing. And I can't wait to go back in the spring and see how he has brought those to fruition because he's working. But we also see Ruth stepped into a situation that could have had her raped. Drunk men likely there in a barn, in a setting where a beautiful woman walks in and at time she could have been perceived as a prostitute. That would have been very normal in that day and age. She walks in there and she seeks out Boaz and God protected her. She stepped into a situation where she didn't know what would happen, but she went where she was told to go. And God, Elohim, El Elohim is our protector. Remember, we read it this morning. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High God will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. What a picture we have of that in Ruth chapter 3. Where does Ruth lay? At the feet of Boaz. If there was light shone upon it, it would have cast a shadow over Ruth. Boaz, in this case, gives us a picture of God, our protector. I need protection, sometimes from myself. But we often turn and try to fix ourselves instead of saying, God, help me. I will let you protect me. I will be but faithful to you. And I will let you sort out the rest of this because nothing is more important than that. And then finally, we see that our God, as we've seen and we'll keep talking about, is our Redeemer. And some say, but yeah, this Mike, he's only our Redeemer when Jesus came. Well, then why on earth would Isaiah tell us this? This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord your God, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the ways you should go. When we make the Lord our God, when we commit our lives to him, he will guide us. He promises us that time and time again. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus tells us, I am not leaving you alone. I am leaving you with a counselor and a teacher who will guide you in the right way to go. But yet we keep thinking, they can't possibly know the right thing. God, you can't possibly understand this situation. We might not say it, but we think it. And God reminds us here, and in this beautiful picture in Ruth, our Redeemer lives, and He will lead us where we need to go. Will we trust Him? Will we go where He leads? even if we don't know how it's going to turn out, even if it might not be what we wanted, because we know what he wants is always better than our own will, that he is sufficient to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches. I chatted um, with one young lady while I was in, in country and I hope that each trip I come back, I'll be able to share with you reports in a, in a way that can let you know why we do what we do. 
And God has seen fit in this particular scenario to, to give her interaction with somebody that they just butt heads. <laughs> There's no way easier to explain it. You know, it's just two personalities that do not interact well in humanity. And she's, comparatively to me, who's now a little bit older, um, she's quite young, and, and some could say that she could be very immature. And so as this person has treated her unfairly, she could have responded and just ignored, ignored the situation altogether. But she chose not to. And time and again, she has chosen to seek out reconciliation, to go, even when it was hard for her, to seek out what do you mean by this? How can I listen to you? And I was, I was listening to her explain how she has sought to be light to him in a way that was understood. And you know what I never heard from her? I never heard her say, I just want him to understand where I'm coming from. She never fought for that. She's a young woman and she just wants to make sure that while, yeah, he understands how it can make her feel in this situation that they... It's not a dating relationship. It's just working together. But she said, I want to make sure that we're working together so that people can see the love of Christ that we have. And so no matter what, she's pursuing peace in that relationship. Would we do that? If someone's made us uncomfortable or if someone's been thoughtless with their words toward us, would we respond with grace and seek out ways to build a strong foundation? that's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he who knew no sin would become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Because he is faithful. He is our protector. And he is our redeemer. And he's with us. Lord, may we live in the truth of your promises Ruth was learning to. And as this picture of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi shows us that you're at work. So would you help us to go where you lead us? Trusting that you will protect us each step of the way. Find us faithful, Lord, I pray. Amen.